So we're going to continue with our discussion about pain and suffering. And the Mahalach that I'm looking at this year is really one of trying to put all of the pain and suffering in our lives into a certain perspective that I believe is very much found in the Torah. And it is uh, really corresponded to by the three parts of Tishabav. The night of Tishabav, Echa, the morning of Tishabav, Kinnis, and the second part, the latter part of the day of Tishabav, which is really, as this farm explained, the 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 time the birth time of Mashiach, the beginning of the the entering into that world of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is with the Chatzais, the time of Chatzais on Tishabav, with the beginning of the birth of Mashiach, the Nechama, the eventual, hopefully Mertzashem very soon, the Nechama of all of the things that we have suffered from the beginning of time until Mashiach, that Nechama begins we celebrate that Nechama, even though Mashiach hasn't yet come. We celebrate that Nechama after Chatzai San Tishubav and really all the way through until we have a, re, a complete rebirth on Rosh Hashanah. And we'll, we'll get to that part, Meretz in the next year. But for today, what I want to do is to really talk about a Hemshech of what we talked about last week. And so we broke it up into the three basic under the three basic stages of painful situations. We talked about victimhood, surviving victimhood, and moving a Hashem into thriving. The thriving part, of course, being Mashiach. But the notion, the the importance of understanding pain and suffering as growing along a continuum and a process. So in order to do that, we need to really go back to the beginning of time. We need to go back to the beginning of the Torah. Because for the most part, our minds experience life in two different ways. There's the static, factual reality of things, which is the black and white, compartmentalized facts and data that we have about life, for example. The desk that I'm uh, sitting on is a desk. It's not going anywhere. It's not moving anywhere. It's a factual uh, reality of life. The roles that I play in life, while they might continuously change, or my responsibilities in them might continuously change, but the roles are the roles. They are facts. Uh, when it comes to the world of, of the material, Reality is reality the way it is. If I have enough money to live, I have enough money to live. If I don't have enough money, I don't have enough money. If you and I are on good talking terms, then we're friends. And if we're not, we're not. The, in the material world, in the world of chitzonius, in the world of the practical reality, in the world of functionality, things are fairly black and white. It, things are either yes or no. Yes, of course, in the world of functionality, we have effort, but effort in and of itself is also, in a certain way, part of the material world, because either you're putting effort in or you're not putting effort in. 
the static facts of life is, I think, the way most of us understand a lot of our lives. For example, one of the things that I've never understood is, what does it mean to be from? Meaning, there are certain halachic implications or differences, let's say, between somebody who is Shomer Shabbos and somebody who is not Shomer Shabbos. There are certain aspects of life that we say, if you do them, you fit into one category, and if you don't do them, you don't fit into that category. But those areas of halacha are very specific. Uh, like, for example, can you get an aliyah? Or can you trust someone? Does someone have ne'emanas when it comes to kashras? But what does it mean that somebody's from? If, as we know from the way we talk about shidduchim, if somebody fits into one specific category, we, we kind of tend to clump things into categories and we say, are you this type or are you that type? Are you more Hamish? Are you more yeshivish? Are you more modern orthodox? And in, in many, many ways, the, the need to compartmentalize things, the need to categorize things, the need to understand and see things in static, factual data points is something that we all have. It's part of our natural way of, of living in the world. If we can't categorize and we can't compartmentalize things, our minds would be complete and utter chaos. But there, of course, is a drawback to that uh, functional categorization that we, that we do. And the drawbacks are, of course, that we tend to simplify certain things. We lose a lot of nuance. We lose a lot of the flavor in life. And in many ways, we, we can make tremendous mistakes if all we know how to do is to focus on the hardcore facts of life. And this really brings us back to the beginning of the Torah. In the beginning, Hashem created heaven and earth. So this forum explain that there's one, there are many, many ways you can, you can read this Pasuk. But this forum explained that the word Bereshus means with the beginning. Bereshus, with, not in the beginning, but with the beginning. Bereshus, with a beginning, bara with a beginning, the Rabbi Nishalim created the world. What does that mean? It means that the world runs on time. And time, even though on a clock, we could look at a clock and see one second, two second, three second, in a very functional, linear way, time seems to flow in a very linear way. But Biracious Barlakim, as Farm explained, mean that the Rabbanishlam created the world to run on a dimension of time. And the dimension of time, as we see from just our own philosophy and psychology, just to stop and think about it, time does not work in a very linear way. Time, for example, if we have, are able to recall in our memories certain things, that means we are able to bring certain things from the past into the present. And if we can anticipate things in the future, it means that we can bring things from the future into the present. It also means we can project certain things. If I can change my memories of the past, then I have the, the, the capacity to change things in the past and the present. And, and same thing, if I can plan for the future, it means I have the capacity to change the future in the present. We say, Hashem Melech, Hashem Molach, Hashem Yimlech. 
Hashem is the king today. Hashem was the king in the past, and Hashem is the king in the future. Because time changes the dynamic of life from a very static point of view, from a very data-driven, factual, bullet point, compartmentalized and categorized, clear facts of life, changes that into what can best be described as process. There's a process that flows. And in that process that flows, there are no data points. There's a consistent shifting and changing. There's a consistent growth that takes place on the continuum of time. With time, Hashem created the world. That means that Hashem put into the very fabric of life a process that unfolds. It can unfold in different directions, as we just, as we just described. Things can unfold in different directions. And in that unfolding of life, there's the recognition that, ta- that, that life happens with a process. So what is the significance of this? What does this have to do with me? And this really is the entirety of what all psychotherapy is about. It's the belief of what all psychotherapy is based on. Is change possible? Is growth possible? Is healing possible? All three of those words, perhaps and some of us might say that they're the same thing, but all three of those words demonstrate the ability to change a certain reality, to take the factual data point and change it and shift it. If I don't have process, if I don't recognize that the world runs on the process of time, if I don't have that, that recognition, or I don't have the capacity to tap into that, then all of my life is going to be ruled by the factual data points the way they are. I, I look at the chitzonius, I look at the material and assume that's all there is, and then nothing in life can change. Change would just be a chiddush. It would be something miraculous. It would be something that we couldn't, we couldn't possibly imagine. It would be something that would be only godly. With beginnings, that means if there's a beginning, there's a middle and an end. With time, Hashem created the world. That means that Hashem put into the very fabric of the world the koach of process. That things can unfold in a process without the static, factual data points of reality. So let's understand this because this is really the chiddush this is a chiddush. This is a chiddush for all of us. Maybe it's not a chiddush for all of us, but it's a, it's an important uh, it's an important point because the question is how much of tsar, how much of pain, how much of loss is a permanent change in reality, and how much of loss exists in the continuum of process. So last week, we talked about this sentiment that many people in, in my generation, and I think the generation under me, have, have been experiencing. And it's with all, it, all the intentions of looking 
for the MS and not Chas V'Sholem in any way, shape, or form to look for contempt in anything. It's to be able to look at history on a continuum, to be able to look at our Yiddishkeit with the vibrancy of process and not with the stuckness of data points. And to be able to recognize that the Rabbi Shalom put one of the most unbelievable, painful, tragic, and insanely, really just not to be believed, experiences into the world that was the Holocaust, that modern man, with all of, it, of, of its advance, advances, both in human psychology and in philosophy and technology, that human humanity is capable of perpetrating a Holocaust, that chiddush that took place is something that, for, 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 to a large degree, the G'daylam that left that world, the G'daylam that came to America and transformed Yiddishkeit in America and revived the, the, the death, they were Machai Mason, the death of those people that had survived the Holocaust, the Yiddishkeit that they brought to us, the Yiddishkeit that we were all raised with, the post-Holocaust Yiddishkeit, is a Yiddishkeit that is rooted in the victimhood of being perpetrated upon, is rooted in trying to be Machaya and to grow and to move from being a victim to survival. And in doing that, as is true of many times that we are victims and we want to move from being a victim to being a survivor, they brought with them the entire pecola of being victims. And that means that the, the intense focus on Yiddishkeit of not losing Yidin, the intense focus of trying to rebuild through rebirth, through having more and more children, that means the, the intensity of teaching all of us the importance of, of being Mekayim Torah Mitzvahs in a way where nobody, Chas V'Shalom, loses out on knowing Torah, the importance of, of teaching us a Yiddishkeit that is filled with an understanding of the importance of responsibility and commitment and loyalty, a Yiddishkeit that in very, in very many ways sets us apart and teaches us the reality that the Rabbani Shalom is, is there all the time, even through a Holocaust, and that we, it's our job to try to, to try to convince the Rabbani Shalom never to do this again. And we need, by doing that, or in order to do that, we need to explode the amount of mitzvahs that we do. We need to try as hard as we can to prevent any Jew from doing any Averis again, the idea of responding to the Holocaust through trying to buckle down and be bigger Yidin is exactly what the, the G'dayim tried to do. And, and in doing so, included a flavor of victimhood because that's what, that's what the situation was. It really goes back to the, the, the time of assimilation that, was, that, that went on in Europe for the, for the last tkufa that, that the Yidin were in Europe before the Muhammad. But really what the Muhammad did was it put into 
a it, it's put into Judaism it put into the entire way that Judaism has been sent down the Messiah has been sent down has put into us a a strong sense of being victims and the idea of trying to resist the victimhood by becoming bigger and better and greater and stronger but as is the case in many times in a in a in a generation where there is uh, trauma and post-trauma, that the post-trauma victimhood gets sent down in a way that unfortunately can seem to be oppressive. The same kind of oppression that we're trying to combat, unfortunately, as, as, as anybody that, that has been through trauma can attest to, that we go through a tkufa with, when it's unchecked, we go through a tkufa of being victims and then perpetrating oppression because we don't know any better, perpetrating oppression in the same exact way that we were oppressed. Lahavdal elf alfi avdalas and chasvashalom don't mean to say anything about what, 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 what can be mistaken in what I'm saying. But there is a certain element that many people feel, and we see this, that many people feel that Yiddishkeit is oppressive. That Yiddishkeit is, these days, is something that is oppressive. Now, I'm not saying that nobody felt that before the Holocaust. Of course, there were people who felt that before the Holocaust. But I think that there's a sentiment that many of us experience in Yiddishkeit where it feels as if Yiddishkeit is very much a response to the Holocaust that Yiddishkeit is very much uh, a fear-based need to, 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 to deal with the trauma of Nazis and the trauma of anti-Semitism, the trauma of, uh, of losing, losing people. And in many ways, our Yiddishkeit, therefore, is lacking in a certain sense of vibrancy. And one of the things I tried to get across uh, last, this last year was to be, for us to be able to understand, you cannot look at pain and sar in a box. You cannot look at pain and sar from the angle of compartments, static data. You cannot look at pain as a fact of life, meaning, meaning let me explain what that means. It doesn't mean chas v'shalom that, that nobody's in, it doesn't mean that nobody's in pain, or that if you're in pain, that chas v'shalom, you have to figure out how not to be in pain. That's not what it means. What it means is pain exists in a continuum. And the worst kind of victimhood that we can experience in life is when we look at the losses in our life, we look at the negative situations in our life, we look at the disappointments in our lives, both the things that are perpetrated on us and the way we perpetrate ourselves, the way we disappoint ourselves. The worst kind of victimhood is when we look at all the negativities, the things that are wrong, the things that have been done to us and the things that are bad about us, we look at those things and we, we create definitions out of those things, that those things define the essence of who we are. So whether it's somebody hurts me and therefore because I feel down, I feel victimized, I end up feeling like I'm a loser. Or because I have failed at different things in my life and I've struggled at different things in my life and there are things that are disappointing about me, I assume that I am therefore a loser. <clears throat> 
Because the greatest kayak that the Yetzirah ever did to us was to convince us that shame, that this looking down, looking down at us and, and assuming in a very static way that the definition of who I am is the end result of all of the disappointments in my life. And our job as people is to recognize that Tsar, Avera's negative character traits, things that we struggle with, all exist on a continuum. The only way I can beat the Yetzirah is if I bring in the Koyach of the Yetzirah And the Yetzirah is not a fighter. The Yetzirah is not violent. The Yetzirah is violent. The Yetzirah says, let's fight. And, and sometimes in our response to the Yetzirah, we'd say, we're going to fight back. But that's also the Koyach of the Yetzirah, because the Yetzirah is violent. You can't beat the Yetzirah with violence. You can't beat the Yetzirah with knocking yourself and being down on yourself. Disappointment is only an arrow. Disappointment is an arrow that says, buddy, see if you can shift directions. But the moment I go to that Yetzirah, I go to that arrow, and I buy that arrow, and I'm convinced that that arrow is telling me I am no good, is the moment that I've missed the exit. So the greatest kayak of the Yetzirah is to convince us that those things that are painful in life, those things that are negative in my life, are real. That they are real, meaning that I need to define myself based on those things. That they don't exist in a process. They're not part of an unfolding. They are simply real edifices that exist in my life. And, and that, therefore, I need to uh, learn to live my life in, either in spite of them or accepting that those things define who I am and I need to just figure out some way to live. Now, I, let me be clear. I'm not saying that we don't look at the negative character traits in our lives as being realistic. Of course, we have to be honest with ourselves and know what our negative uh, attributes are. What I'm saying is, is we can't assume, we can't chas v'shalom, assume about ourselves that the negative things that happen to us define us. And when I say that we, can, we, we have to realize that they're not real, I mean to say we can't accept them as being hardcore data, data facts in our lives. We have to see them in the context of the continuum of an unfolding process. So how do we move from being a victim to being in survivor mode? So I think that understanding this Indian of Tishabov is actually the way to do it. I think I said last week that Rabbi Nachman says that kinas, kuf, yud, nun, vav, saf is the same oasis as the word tikkun. Rabbi Nachman says that when a person does an avera, so when a person does something negative, the letters of the lav, the letters that prohibit the person from doing that action, the letters in the Torah, like for example, let's say I eat a cheeseburger, the letters, lo savashel gedibachalevimo, those letters, the letters that represent the sin of what I just did, those letters seep into my bones and they become etched into my bones. Rabbi Nachman says not etched in a permanent way, etched in a way that they, they make my bones tickle negatively. 
there's something negative I feel about myself. And even if I don't feel it, but it's really happening, there's something going on. When I do something wrong, I've now abused myself. I've perpetrated upon myself. So Menachem says, what's the, what's the, uh, the antidote to that? So he says something very, very uh, radically modern. He says that the, the answer to that is to go to a tzaddik, speak out the Avera, vidui dvarim, Rabbi Nachman says, speak it out, explain to the tzaddik all the things you did, tell him about it, unleash, unburden the pain that you feel from what you've done. Rabbi Nachman says, in that way, the letters that got etched into your bones of that love are parchin ba'avir. They leave you. The toxicity, the weight, the heaviness, the feeling of being burdened by the avers that I've done are removed from me when I speak it out. When I go to a tzaddik, when I go to somebody that's able to listen to me clearly, that's, that cares about me, that's able to hear me deeply, that is able to not necessarily give me musr, but is able to accept and help me, encourage me to speak out the things that I've done wrong, Rabbi Nachman says, in that way, I'm released from the Avera. And that, Rabbi Nachman says, is one of the key, the key ingredients to doing tshuva. Tshuva, one way of understanding tshuva is to understand that tshuva is about healing. And I think in this way, this is really the connection between Tishabav and Rosh Hashanah. Not, not that I look at all the negative aspects of my life, I'm this error, I'm disappointed by all the negative things that I've done, and therefore I now, I now have what to work on until Rosh Hashanah. I would say it's almost the exact opposite. Or maybe you could say it this way. For those of us that need that uh, aspect of, of Tishabav, we need to force ourselves to be disappointed, then you can go with that mahalach. But I, I'm going to suggest that things actually could work almost the exact opposite. Tishabov is not a time of getting broken up by all the negative disappointments in my life. There's, there's an aspect of that to Tishabov, but Tishabov is about the continuum of healing. Tishabov is about grieving. Tishabov is about opening myself to speak it out and unburden the pain of the things that have gone on for me. If if Hashem created the world in a process, that means that everything that has gone on from the beginning of time until me right here, right now, in the year 2020, during the three weeks, waiting for Tishabav, I carry in me the genetic material of all that has gone on before me. Maisa of Asimilabanam, one of the ways of explaining the, the notion of Maisa of Asimilabanam, that Hashem has made it that the Avos and the things that our ancestors have gone through somehow have significance to me. One of the ways of explaining that is, is that the things that have happened to our Avos, the things that our Avos have done with their lives, both of those things are part of the genetic, make, genetic makeup of who we are today. And so the effects of the way they lived, the effects of the things that happened to them, are etched into our bones. They're etched into our bones, like Rabbi Nachman says. The mitzvahs and the averis, and the tsaris, and the simchas, and all of it. 
In other words, every Jew that's living today is carrying within us the entire genetic makeup, the entire genetic uh, memory, if you will, the material of all of history that has gone on before us. And if that's the case, so when it comes to Tisha B'Av, and I'm sitting down on the floor and I'm saying, Kenneth, and I'm going through the history of all the things that have gone on before us. So the question is, what is the purpose of that? Is the purpose of that to be misfire in me, to inspire in me, to be more sad, to cry more, to be more sensitive? So it could be yes, it could be if that's what I need, then yes. But it's also possible that really what's happening is that Hashem is saying to me, the Crusades is etched into your bones. Grieve over them. Talk about it. Express it. Take the toxicity of the Crusades and express it outwards. You're living in the year 2020 and you're depressed. Tisha B'Av morning comes and Hashem says, I want you to have a therapy session with me. I want you to talk it out. Express it. Tell me about it. You're anxious. You're suffering from some kind of addiction. You're going through some kind of inner turmoil. You're going through a terrible marriage. You're going through a terrible singlehood. You're going through a terrible, a terrible life-altering situation. Hashem says, it comes to Shavuot morning. I don't want you to put on tefillin. I don't want you to wear a talis. I don't want you to, to wash. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to sit down on the floor and just talk to me about it. I want you to express all of your grief, and I want you to experience the catharsis of getting it off your shoulders. If you need to a lesson in sensitivity, if you need the, the hysteris of disappointment and negativity, that's great. But I also want you, Hashem says, to grieve over it. And grief is a process of letting go of loss. You know what it means to be a survivor? To be a survivor means I'm not a victim anymore. To be a victim means that I'm suffering under the weight of all the negative things that have happened to me. To be a victim means that when I come out of the Holocaust and I need to figure out in what way Yiddishkeit has to rebirth itself and I'm grasping at straws to try to understand quickly what's the most important thing we can do to give a generation of Yisraelim a way of, of, of holding on to Yiddishkeit, that Yiddishkeit that is the post-victimhood, which is really in many ways victimhood itself, that Yiddishkeit needs to continue to grow. It needs to continue to grieve. It need, we need to continue on our mission and our path to say, the burdens of all the things we have suffered from is killing me. Hashem, take it from me. I want to give it to you. I want to talk it out. Personally, I used, to, I used to come to shul on Tisha B'Av early with my journal. And I would sit down and write. I would take stock of the year, take stock of whatever issues I was going through in my life. Because it used to be that Tisha B'Av would come and I would push myself really, really hard to try to feel all the negative things and read. I mean, I think probably the greatest thing art school did was to, was to translate the English kinnis with the, the introductions and things like that that need to somehow force and eke out a certain degree of, of negative energy, more disappointment, more sadness, more anger. That was something that was in me for a long time until one day I, 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 I kind of hopped 
I don't need to force myself to feel more negative, to feel more disappointing. Suppose I were to just bring my journal to shul, and in the midst of, of kinnis, and in the midst of, of the drushes, to be able to just stop and focus in on my life, and focus in on the things that are hard for me, the disappointments that are hard for me, the ways that I feel a victim, whether it's I feel a victim because I didn't get, I, I, I couldn't listen to music for three weeks, or I feel a victim because I didn't, I didn't get it right state, whatever it is, it doesn't make a difference. It's not a time to judge and look at what negative aspects of my life and if they're babyish or not. That's not the point. The point of Tisha B'Av is to show up to shul with all of the things that hurt me and to say to the Rabbi Shalom, I understand that all the things that hurt me today in my life right now are because of Chorban Beis HaMikdash. It's the recognition that when Hashem said, Hashem is saying to me, this world is going to live on a continuum. And you, Yitzhi Horowitz, in this day and age, do not understand for the life of you how it could be that coronavirus came and Mashiach didn't come with it. You, you can't understand it. You can't fathom it. With all the tsars that are going on in Klai Yisrael and all the tsars that all the difficulties and disappointments I have in my own life and all the things that go on, I can't understand how Mashiach didn't come yet. And I could stop and say for a minute, you know what, this is my life. This is my life. All the negative things that happen, this is my life. And I have to make drushes out of it and I need to understand it. And I need to work to be able to accept the fact that I'm just not as good as I would like to be and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hashem says, no. Hashem says, no. You have things that hurt you in life. You have things, some of us have real loss in life. We've lost people in our lives. And nobody, nobody could turn around and say that there's like a silver lining in that. But Hashem says, I want you to go through the grieving process. I want you to be able to talk it out. I want you to experience the alleviation of some kind of pain. I don't want you to carry it with you all along, because if you carry the intense toxicity and the burden of all the things that hurt you and pain you, you're going to make a life out of it. You're going to assume that life is supposed to be that way. You're going to assume that all the negative aspects of your life define you somehow, and you're going to be crippled and handicapped by the negativity, and you're never going to make it to the world of thriving, because your whole life is going to be about surviving. You, your whole life is going to be about, Chach, I survived. Chach, I made it. But then what you've lost is the capacity to dream. You've lost the capacity to live Mashiachtik. You've lost the capacity to be idealistic. And Hashem says, I want you to get to the point of having a Yiddishkeit that's idealistic. I want Yiddishkeit to make it to a point of being idealistic. I don't want you to sit around thinking about the Holocaust as much as you do. I want you to get to the point of thinking about towards Mashiach, towards amazingness, towards growth, towards unbelievable beauty. So Hashem says, I don't want you to be bogged down by the negativity. I want the negativity to be inside of you. You'll never understand why. Don't even bother asking me why the negativity happens. Don't bother asking me why the pain happens. You'll never know. You'll never understand. And there'll be periods in your life where you'll be so bogged down by the negativity and the pain and the disappointment that you're going to think that this is all there is to life. That's the way it's going to feel. But Hashem says, I want you to heal. I want you to experience the beauty of healing. And healing works in many different ways. Healing means to let go of the toxicity of it. It's to not allow the pain. It's to get to a point where the pain doesn't define me. The pain doesn't burden me in a way that it becomes an accepted part of my life. Hashem says, 
Hashem says, you will never understand why these negative things happen to you. I have a cheshven. I'm running the world with a certain seder. You'll never know it. You'll never understand why the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Of course, the Gemara says the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed for different things because the Chacham want, to, want to, to, to show us in what ways we can improve. But to understand Be'etzem, why Hashem sent suffering into this world, we'll never know. It's a mystery. It's a chayk. It's a chayk. I have so many people that have showed me text messages over the last few few weeks about... You know, Hashem said that he wants us to do tshuva, and so I don't even want your tefillahs, I'm kicking you out of shul. All, all different kinds of things to try to say and explain that, you know, you talk a bed, you talk a bed. No, no, it doesn't work. Anybody that tries to say that they know why Hashem does something is talking about, is talking about things. You want to say that you could learn something, you can, you, can, you can have that arrow that points you in a certain direction to do tshuva on something, that's fine, of course. But to, to say that you know why Hashem did something, you can't say that. To say that my life is defined by the negative aspects of, my, of, of what happens to me, that's the koyach hara. That is the Yetzirah itself. The Rabbi Nishan says you'll never understand why you, you had to lose this, why my wife's sister had to die at the age of 32 with, with, with three little kids. Nobody will ever know why. Nobody will ever understand why. And even the question to ask, why did this happen, is really psychologically rooted in, Hashem, it's so painful. If I understand it, maybe it'll alleviate some of my pain. And one of the things I try to help people with is to try to understand, don't try to understand. Know that you're asking the question of why. Why do bad things happen to good people? You're asking that question because you think that if you understand the answer, it'll alleviate some of the pain. The question of why do bad things happen to good people is a misnomer in two ways. The question itself doesn't make sense. Number one, you'll never understand why Hashem does things. Number two, it's, it's as if to say, if you're good enough, therefore Hashem won't make bad things happen to you. Who said that that's true? Who said that's true? I, I don't know where that came from. Somehow that, that, that very factual, me the Kenegan, me the thing has seeped into our understanding that we somehow intuitively think that Hashem is like a, is like a, like a vending machine. You put in a quarter, you get out, uh, you get out something good. You, you, you steal a quarter, then you get out something bad. Why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people? The answer is one word, because. Hashem decided so. But Hashem says, you know something? Yitzhi. Shem says to me, Yitzi, you'll never understand why you struggle so much with this Indian. You'll never understand why that bad thing happened to you. You'll never understand why you have to suffer in this way. You'll never understand that. But the fact that you're in pain, Hashem says, the fact that you're hurting, I'm coming down to you and I'm saying to you, it hurts me too. It hurts me to watch you go through pain. And even though it feels sometimes, Yitzi, like I've perpetrated pain onto you, it feels like you're a victim, and it feels like life never works well the way exactly the way you want it to. But Hashem says, I'm with you, and I want to hear from you, and I want you to talk it out. I want you to experience healing and recognize that all the pain that exists in this world is meant somehow, somewhere, to get you to a greater point of healing, to get you to a greater point of revival in your life lest you think that I'm being idealistic. Nothing can bring a mother back to young children, and nothing can bring a child back to a mother. <clears throat> nothing can fully repair 
a heart that's been damaged by molestation or addiction or whatever the tsaris is that, that, that people have in the world, there are certainly doors that are closed on lives. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But the question of perspective, of recognizing that Hashem's interest in Tishabav is not for us to be sad. It's for us to experience healing. It's for us to take the already present sadness that we have, the presence of the things that hurt us, the things that are challenging for us, the presence of those things. And Hashem says, I want you to experience healing. Kinnus, sit down on the floor. And because you're part of Klal Yisrael, and because you, you have within your bones the negativity of all the things that Klal Yisrael has experienced, all the challenges that Klal Yisrael has ever experienced, you have it in your bones. Hashem says, I want you to read it out. Speak it out. Give it out to me. Give it back to me. Because I'm sitting on the floor with you until that moment Mashiach comes, I'm sitting on the floor with you saying, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. And I don't want you to get lost in that negativity, in thinking that the negativity happens to you because this is all there is in life. And that negativity happens to you because this is what you deserve. And that negativity happens to you because you should feel ashamed of yourself. Hashem says the exact opposite. Unburden the negativity. Give yourself some space and freedom from the negativity. Allow it to not be completely on top of your heart. Experience what it feels like to let go of some of the burden of that. So we come to, to Tishabov, which is a time of process, of reflection, of introspection. It's very meditative. The idea of not wishing people shalom, the whole idea of Avelis, is not because we're supposed to be, be sad. It's because when we take moments to look at the things that are sad in our lives, we need to be introspective. We need to be a day that's a little bit more introverted and less extroverted. It's a day that's meant to for us to turn back to Hashem and to turn back to, to each other and to say to each other, hey, this is what's hard for me in life. These are the things in life that have been painful for me. My life looks completely rosy on the outside, but on the inside, I'm sitting on the floor and crying sometimes. To not be afraid. I'll end with my favorite Misa from Yitzhak Mavorka. The story goes, I've said this over before, the story goes that, the, that a person came to Yitzchak of work and he said to him, Rebbe, my wife is in labor and the doctors say that the baby's going to die and my wife is going to die and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really moved. Please stop him for my, 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 my wife and, and the new unborn baby. And Yitzchak of work turns to Shemayim and after a minute he turns back and he says, no, there's nothing to talk about. The gates of Shemayim are completely closed. It's destined that... Uh, that um, it's not going to turn out well. And the man ple pleaded, and he cried, and he threw himself down on the floor, and he said, Rebbe Mavorka, please, please, Rebbe, please, give me some etza, give me some mahalach of tshuva, give, I'm willing to do anything you want, just save, save my wife and kids, my wife and this, and, and this, and, and, and this pregnancy. And Rebbe Mavorka says, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. And back and forth, and back and forth, and Rebbe Mavorka said, there's nothing I can do, I'm sorry. And completely, completely, utterly, morally dejected, the man leaves Rebitzel Mavorka, jumps into his carriage, and turns to go back home. And a few minutes later, he hears behind him, 
he hears somebody screaming at him, come, stop, stop, stop. And he turns around, he gets out of his carriage and he looks and he sees that the Rebbe himself is running after him. Stop, stop, wait. And this worker jumps onto the, to the carriage and he, and he catches his breath and he says to his, his chassid, he says, listen, he says, I'm so sorry, I told you there's nothing I can do. And he says, Taka, there's nothing I can do in, the, in, in, in Shemayim. There's nothing I can do for you. But there's one thing I didn't do with you that I could do for you. And please allow me to do this. He says, I didn't cry with you. Please allow me to sit and cry with you for a few minutes over the tsar of what you're going through. There are certain versions of the story that say, and of course, therefore, then the baby was born. I don't know the way that I initially heard the story. I heard that was the end of the story. For one person to turn to the other person and say, I'm sorry, life is hard. I can't change it for you, but I want you to know I'm here for you. That's Tishabov. That is what Tishabov is about. Tishabov is not about the Tsar itself. Tishabov is about not just gaining perspective on the Tsar. Tishabov is about the act of expressing the things that hurt for me, that hurt me, for the sake of unburdening them a little bit, so that they don't weigh me down as much as they normally do. It's to gain distance from the Tsar. It's to gain the comfort of knowing that there are other people in Tsar with me too. You have your tsaris, I have my tsaris. Hashem sits with each and every one of us in Tishabav and he says, Let me hear. I want to hear what's going on for you. I'm paying attention to you. I'm not, I'm making you not do any of the Torah mitzvahs that you normally do. There's no learning, there's no davening. I want you to, well, there's, of course, there's davening, but there's no talus and tefillin. I want you to sit on the floor and talk to me like a baby, cry like a baby. Give me all of the disappointments and pains that you have in your life. Because Bereshis Barley Kimis Hashemayim Ve'esa'aretz is the beginning of an unfolding process that's going to bring us to Mashiach. That moment, which we'll talk about in Mir Hashem on Tishabav, that moment when all of reality is turned inside out and life is purely 100% completely fulfilling. And every one of us is completely actualized, no more disappointments, no more negativity, no more tsar, no, nothing. And the moment that we will, we will turn around and recognize that all of the tsars we've experienced in life have simply been doorways into possibilities of growth, doorways into possibilities of newness, of more vibrancy, more idealism. We should be zaycha to that day very, very quickly. Thank you for joining. Have a beautiful night.